the Standing Room Only podcast. I am Ben Standing, and I do cover the Washington football team for the Athletic. I hope everyone is doing well uh, midweek here in the DMV. Uh, I've got a great show for you today here on the podcast. Two guests uh, really enjoyed both of these conversations. First off, Stanford football coach David Shaw joined me on Tuesday to discuss uh, some of his players in the NFL draft, including quarterback Davis Mills, who has been I've mentioned to you, uh, mentioned to here before. The Washington has shown some interest there. We also talked about um, some other topics with regards to uh, Ron Rivera. That there's a history of of, of of Rivera teams drafting Stanford players. Plus, also just David Shaw's um, coaching future uh, to to some degree. Maybe not so much his future, but the opportunities that do or do not exist in the NFL for him uh, and other uh, minority candidates. A really fun conversation uh, with Coach Shaw. He was really kind, generous with his time. In addition, we'll talk a lot about the Washington football team with my guy, Al Galdi. Rather than just talk about the same old topics with regard to this football team, I tried to shake it up a little bit. For example... If Washington did draft a quarterback, who's the odd man out between Kyle Allen and Taylor Heineke? Um, If you're Washington, how much do you really consider trading up? And would you take, would you do the same deal that the 49ers made to trade up uh, to get a quarterback in this year's draft? And if it's not a quarterback, is there any other player you specifically would trade up in this draft to get plus some other aspects of the roster, the, the culture. So a fun conversation there, trying to think a little bit outside the box with our friend Al Galdi of the Al Galdi podcast. All that and more, and more here on the Standard Room Only podcast. Of course, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere you do your podcasting. Can't ask you to listen. <laughs> I mean, I can ask you to listen, but ideally, I mean, let me rephrase that. Ideally, you, you subscribe, you listen, you enjoy But if you could subscribe at a minimum, and that would be great. And if nothing else, that way you're not going to miss any of the podcasts coming up. And we've got plenty more to get to before the April 29th to May 1st NFL draft. Uh, In addition, of course, make sure you subscribe to uh, my work on The Athletic. I say make sure you do. Look, I appreciate anybody that does, that subscribes to the podcast and subscribes to The Athletic. I really appreciate the support that everybody provides, and that includes those who are kind enough to take a moment to leave a comment or in a rating on iTunes. Um, all that definitely helps the cause. And of course, if you want to talk to me on social media, I am at Ben Standig. Uh, follow me there. Uh, I'm not going to do any long intro here. Uh, I want to get to the, to the conversations. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll have plenty more to, to, to discuss with regards to the NFL draft. If you do have any questions or any thoughts, you can hit me up directly. Uh, you know, there's always uh, there's always some news and notes, but because a couple quick things, uh, Jeremy Sprinkle today signed with the Dallas Cowboys. Um, I didn't think he would be back necessarily, but either way, the Washington uh, will we'll have to look for a new tight end. Figured that was going to be the case anyway, but they have not yet uh, added any any pieces there behind Logan Thomas, and the pieces that they do have um, are not um, overly inspiring. Al and I talked about the tight ends specifically in our conversation. So you can check uh, that out. We also talked about, as I said, the idea of moving up for quarterback, perhaps. You know, it, what would that look like? Uh, there was a report out today from Mike Lombardi, 
uh, contributor to The Athletic, but he was talking, I believe, on his own podcast. Uh, and it was he, he said, he, somewhat emphatically, it appears, I only read the quote, so I didn't hear this yet, but that um, Washington is interested in Trey Lance, and he wouldn't be surprised if they made a big move to move up. I don't necessarily know what to make of that. Uh, look, uh, you know, if there's if there's value to be had, it makes sense. Uh, and obviously, we know they need a long-term answer. I think Trey Trey Lance is a very interesting player, a very unique uh, evaluation for all kinds of reasons. A player at North Dakota State who only played one game this year, uh, and so on. Um, you know, it, it's a tough challenge. It wouldn't stun me if Washington was interested. I maybe would be a little bit surprised, though, at this point, if they did move up. Um, so while Al and I didn't talk about this particular rumor specifically, because we we talked before um, that, that that came out, we did just generally talk about this idea of um, trading up. So I just wanted to mention that in case you're wondering how come we did not discuss the Lombardi report specifically. That is why. Uh, so let, let's get to this. Uh, like I said, uh, really enjoyed both of these conversations. We'll start with Stanford head coach David Shaw here on the Standing Room Only podcast. All right, uh, joining us here on the Standing Room Only podcast, really special guest, Coach David Shaw from Stanford. Uh, I don't need more of an introduction from the, to, than that. Uh, coach, I really appreciate your, your, your time. I know it's got to be busy for you, even though your season's over. You got players getting ready for the draft, and the world is still weird. How, how are you doing? Uh, doing well. Doing well. We've got spring football coming up. We're always recruiting and also trying to help these guys get ready for the draft. You're recruiting. I, I, I've done a lot of college basketball work over the years historically, and I always tell the coaches, you guys have that recruiting. I cannot even understand how that job works. You guys, that's a what, what a, I won't say terrible, but like it is just so complicated to have to run around the country, chase down all these people, try to get them to commit. But this is what you guys do, and this is you, you, you mold young men. This is how it all starts by, uh, by, by that process. Uh, absolutely. And, and I've been doing it for a long time, and I'm still trying to figure it out. <laughs> well, um, you know, there's a lot of interesting topics to get into you, to get into with, with you. And I really appreciate you, your time. And among them, you've got, as I said, you've got some guys who are going to be in the draft. Uh, and a couple of them are interesting, I think, for, for people who are interested in what the Washington football team might possibly do. Um, and that includes uh, quarterback um, Davis Mills, uh, who uh, was, speaking of recruiting, was the number one recruit, I believe, in 2017, which is obviously a great, a great get. Um, he's had some injuries along the way and maybe things haven't gone as smooth as perhaps everybody wanted, but he did get a chance to play a bunch this year. And he's now one of the guys that teams are, are eyeing, you know, somewhere high in the draft. What, what can you tell us about, uh, about Davis, not just as a player, but kind of what you've learned about him as a person over your time? Yeah. Davis is in that group for me that, um, is kind of a, a COVID casualty to a certain degree with only six games. I think if we're able to play 12, um, and didn't have the opt-outs. Um, I believe Davis Mills, Walker Little, and Paul Sadebo, we'd be talking them about them as first-round draft picks. Um, that's how highly I think of Davis. Uh, in six games, he was on pace for over 3,000 yards, um, led the conference in a couple of different statistical categories. Uh, he is a, a, a big prototype, prototypical drop-back quarterback, but he does have that athleticism, that has capability. Um, he's not going to run a 4-3. Uh, like like some of those other really fast guys, but you watch him the way he operates in the pocket. Um, he can slide and move, but he can also escape, um, and he can throw the ball on on crazy ridiculous angles, um, like the top guys in the draft. So 
Uh, I believe Davis is, is an NFL starter. Um, he's got the uh, he's got what it takes between the ears, uh, as, as you would imagine, a Stanford guy would. Um, but as, as far as our scheme, we have a more pro style scheme to where we're not signaling from the sidelines. He's calling the plays uh, in the huddle. He's making audibles. Um, he's changing run to pass, pass to run, augmenting our our protections at the line of scrimmage. Um, so I think that's that's one of the things that teams covet, which is the athletic ability. Absolutely. The arm strength and accuracy, absolutely. But then also that ability to operate uh, the entire game and not just post-snap, but pre-snap as well. One thing Ron Rivera has talked about a lot that he wants out of that quarterback position, obviously there's talent, but it's also sort of being the leader of that of the locker room because obviously the, the, the nature of how important that position is, it was something he, he, he talked about a lot with Alex Smith when they signed Ryan Fitzpatrick. It was one of the three points, points of emphasis as well what can you say about sort of davis in that respect not every human being is a leader per se but at that position it's kind of important how, how do you think he kind of uh worked in that role one of the things i say a lot is is you need to lead with your own personality um <clears throat> so davis is not loud he's not boisterous but he's a leader um because when you lead with your own personality then the guys around you know that you're real you're not trying to be like somebody else. You're not putting on a face that you think a leader should look like, sound like, be like. You are being yourself. Um, you are holding yourself accountable. You're holding your teammates accountable. Uh, you're, you're, and we talk a lot about being able to huddle. I think what, that's what a lot of college guys miss is being in the huddle with everybody looking at you and you calling a play, looking back at them. That's the first step to that play working. Right. The convincing way that that quarterback can call the play um, with with that eye contact and say and just without saying the words, but you're saying this play is going to work Like what we're doing is good. Like this is this is going to be great. So that ability to get in that huddle with those other 10 guys looking at you and call the plays with authority so that like, yes, this is our guy and handle, handling that like that's a big part of it. And that starts in practice. And that's one of those things that is when Davis joins an NFL franchise. That's what those guys are going to start to see from day one is that he may not be the loudest guy, but when he steps in that huddle, he's in control. Um, I would imagine also like part of that comes from how does somebody deal with adversity, right? I mean, obviously if somebody's a talented player, go out there and play and, and that can speak for itself. But when things go wrong, maybe it gets going wrong when your team falls behind by 20 points, or maybe it's in his case, perhaps when he's had some of these knee injuries, what, what, what have you seen from him from that perspective, especially with the injuries, dealing with adversity and then kind of coming through on the other end to now still be in position to be a pretty high draft pick? Yeah, Davis is unflappable. He really is. Um, I like to say our, our last game of the year against UCLA, he had his best game and his worst game at the same time. Um, uh, the only interceptions of the year, he threw three of them, um, but then also was unreal uh in in the fourth quarter and overtime just unbelievable um and all the time he was steady eddie all the time he was comfortable he was um we could have discussions he was able to say hey i screwed that last one up that was my fault and now let's move past it um he gives the team that that comfort that we're going to be fine we're going to come back um and he's completely healthy he's been healthy for for two years now um but he was injured in high school and then re-injured the same knee um, the, the following year with us. 
and I felt so bad for him, right? Because the, the knee the knee rehab is is difficult. I mean, it's it's almost a calendar year, and he was about to go back through it again. And I said, "Man, are you okay? I feel so bad for you." And he said, "Coach, I've already done it once. I can do it again." Right? Just that it's okay. I got it. This is the path that I have. I'm not going to complain about it. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna dig in. I'm gonna fight through it, which is why I believe he's able to talk with such gravity. Um, and certain people have to yell to get your attention. He's not one of those guys. He's going to get your attention um, through eye contact, through through the gravity with which he 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 speaks to you, the honesty and openness that he has. Um, and then once he gets on the field, then you see his his uh, his his talent. Uh, let me talk about your other interesting or your other interesting player to me. You have multiple interesting players, but other one interesting to me. Um, who will also have a very interesting path to this point, and that's Walker Little. I remember as somebody who pays attention to the NFL draft, hearing his name mentioned a couple of years ago. So when I saw it come up again this time, I was like, wait a minute. I, 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 I'm sort of trying to remember where, where we were. And then you look back and see, you know, he, he had an injury along the way that that, that that took him out of action. I think from from for a chunk of 2019, last year he opts out because of the, pandemic situation I imagine so he really hasn't even played football in a while but yet he's still being mentioned as a guy who could get picked high in the draft obviously the tackles are coveted offensive tackles especially guys who can play on the left side what can you say about about Walker Little when he's been off the field for so long and yet the talent is so interesting that teams are still wanting to possibly uh, draft him uh, you know using an early pick yeah, and it doesn't really ma- mean that much uh, to a certain degree to, to say this, but I'm still going to say it. I mean, this was one of the top tackles um, in recent memory coming out of high school, right? This was, a, this was the number one tackle uh, coming out of high school. And a lot of times when, when they're that good in high school, it's not healthy, but we can't help it. We look and say, wow, this guy's got to be a pro, right? At 17 years old, you could see it from this guy work his size his athleticism his length he, he looked like an NFL guy playing high school football his senior year um, so uh, we knew he was going to be good came in and started as a freshman um, as it started left tackle as a freshman uh, played every snap we didn't we didn't you know slide to him we didn't chip his side we didn't protect him we just let him play and he was outstanding um, so that that's that's where that that started and then you know, uh, getting injured and, and, and then opting out. So all of those things are all difficult to truly evaluate. Um, but for me, when you go back and look at it um, and you watch his pro day, you see that he's completely healthy. So now that, that original ceiling that we all thought is out there. Um, this guy's an NFL starter. Um, this guy's a starter. He can start a left tackle. He can start a right tackle. And a pinch, he can go in and play guard. Um, he's one of those guys that has length and athleticism. He's a tough son of a gun. Uh, and he's also very, very bright. So he's going to be able to pick up someone's scheme very quickly um, and get on the field early on in his career. Um, I, I'm imagining that coaches, NFL coaches are constantly reaching out to you during the season, certainly this time of year to ask about these players and others. You mentioned Paulson Adebo, a cornerback who's expected to get pretty hot, drafted pretty high as well. And I'm sure there's some others as, as well. I'm sure those conversations are, are, are interesting. I'm sure sometimes they're a lot of the same stuff. They ask about the, the injuries, who the kid is, what have you. But then I'm sure these conversations can veer off into all kinds of different directions. And I would imagine for you, it's a chance to talk to colleagues at the other level to to to, to share some 
thoughts and ideas. I'm just curious, like, what are some of those other topics that are sort of coming up? I don't know if it's this year because of the pandemic, everybody was like, boy, how, how, how did you guys get through that? Or maybe it's more along the lines of where football is going. You mentioned you guys play more pro style, but a lot of spread offenses around the league and how that impacts the draft or others. What are some of like the, for you, when you had these conversations, what do you kind of maybe either look to get out of, or what are some of the parts of the conversation you find kind of most interesting? Well, a lot of those conversations begin with NFL scouts and coaches thanking us for playing uh, the style of play that we play. Right. Um, because to be honest, I have nothing against the, some of those spread offenses, but um, some of the things they do don't correlate in particular for the offensive line where um, there's not a lot of drop back passing. There's not a lot of play action passing. Sometimes there is, but it's, you know, they're not accounting for this guy, not accounting for that guy. Um, the RPO world, we don't have to block everybody. Um, we also don't have to come off the ball really hard. So uh, they don't see a lot of those things that they're going to ask those guys to do um, in the NFL. So that's usually where they start is guys thanking us that they can actually evaluate our film. Um, even though Walker didn't play last year, they could put on his film. They can see him getting into double teams. Um, they can see him as a puller. They can see him getting out on screens. Um, they can see him do everything that he's going to be asked to do at the next level. Um, uh, for, for a guy like Paulson Adebo, who also opted out, um, our scheme, you also you see him press. Uh, you see him play too high in cloud coverage. Uh, you see him playing off. You'll see him also jump inside and play the nickel position, man-to-man uh, -man and zone and zone schemes. You see him as a blitzer. So we're able to put together a variety of film um, that maybe they don't get when they see other people coming out. And, and one thing on Paulson, um, no, he didn't play last year. And a lot of people remember, um, you know, we all had a rough game against Central Florida early on uh, in his last year. Uh, but you can't forget about Paulson is the last two years that he played football, he was the most productive corner in America. The most productive. It wasn't really close. He led the nation uh, in passes defensed um, as a sophomore and then led the conference the next year. And I think was top six or seven, maybe even top five in the nation his last year. So his last two years, he was number one and then top five in passes defense. Um, this guy is long, athletic. A lot of people recruited him as a corner. Uh, I'm sorry, as a receiver coming out of high school. So he's got ball skills. Um, he is tough. He's a big time tackler and he ran 4-4-1 at our pro day. So um, he's another one of those guys like Walker that is so intriguing because preseason wise, before he opted out, he was viewed as a top top round pick if not a top 15 pick just like walker was right so here are two guys that no one's talking about them going in the first round um but no matter where they go you're going to get potential first round talent uh wherever you take them. i mean did you uh, as you're describing them did you give either of these guys grief for not playing this year i mean come on you could have used them on the field no i'm just kidding but uh we could have <laughs> used them i tell you we could have used them um but i'm also in the realm of of understanding that my my job as the head coach, honestly, being a college football head coach is as a mentor sure. and um, mentoring people is not telling them what to do. Mentoring them is guiding them through their process. And um, both both of these guys had really understandable reasons for not playing this year. Um, I commended them for making a tough decision because they're great teammates. They love their teams. Um, they love their teammates um, and they're big parts of our locker room. And it was really difficult uh, for them not to play. So my role in there in this in this in this situation for them was to support them um, again help them have everything that they need um, they were our biggest cheerleaders during the course of the year um, but uh, I understand they made tough difficult decisions 
And um, now I'm excited for the next stage of their lives. Speaking of the pandemic, I mean, obviously it's still, we're all still going through it and it's still, uh, I have to remind myself sometimes as I talk about things like the draft and the Washington football team's depth chart and these sort of basic topics like, oh, wait, there's still, we, we've gone through an incredibly crazy year and it's still ongoing and you had to navigate through a college football season as did your colleagues, but you also, you're, you know, the person in charge of all these young men, you're, you're looking out for their well-being all the time, but now you have this heightened situation. When, when you look back on everything that happened, I don't know if there's any one part that you look at with more like, wow, I can't believe we kind of got through that. Or how did, I don't know, when you look back at the season and, and everything you had to go through, do you, how do you kind of view that just in terms of we, we had to live through that and kind of had to get through that? Well, being in the most restrictive county in America, uh, as far as COVID was related, um, it was difficult. Um, it took a lot of organization um, from our staff, from our trainers and doctors, um, from our operational staff, right? Having to leave the county and play the last three weeks on the road, we were traveling circus. Um, that, that, that takes so much organization and we got a lot of support from our administration. Um, they had to pay for twice as many buses as usual, twice as many hotel rooms to, to make sure everybody was spaced out. Um, and the, the best thing about it for me, which once again makes me so excited about being at Stanford, is through every difficulty, our guys rose to the occasion. Um, they had every excuse to not play well. They had excuse to complain and, and say, you know what, coach, we don't want to do this anymore. This is, but every every opportunity to quit, they got better. Um, so through all the difficulties, being on the road, having all of our schedules get thrown thrown out of the window, um, we ended the game, ended the season on a four game win streak. Um, says a lot about the character of our football team. You know, as I'm sitting here listening, you talk about that, how you had to organize that. I know you had a lot of help, but obviously as the head coach, you're going to have to be front and center on a lot of these things, just like Ron Rivera was here in, in Washington this year with, with everything that, that, that they were dealing with. Um, you look, I mean, this is not a, it's not breaking news that your name has been mentioned often in terms of somebody who could be a, an interesting hire for an NFL team. Sean Payton and others have come out and said, you should be somebody that should be considered. Um, I, I don't want to reflexively ask you about minority hires in the league, but you know, Ron Rivera was the only one in 2019 in the NFL. So there is some connection here. And then this, this cycle, we had 20, we had two with, with Robert Sala and David Culley. It's one thing for your name to get mentioned, but it's another thing for the op actual opportunities to be there for you or other uh, potential minority candidates. Do you, do you feel like that? And obviously this has been a topic this, this cycle as well because of Eric Bieniemy and some others. Do you feel that the, even regard, I'm sure you're happy at Stanford. I'm not trying to get you to leave, but do you feel that the actual opportunities are even there, even if everybody is talking about you and perhaps some others as people who should be uh, considered for these jobs? Yeah, there, there's no easy answer. Everyone wants to find an easy answer, but there really isn't. Um, there are two main principles. And number one, what I believe is, is really trying to make sure that the best candidates are put forward. Um, so the, the sooner we can identify uh, the candidates of any race and eventually at any gender, um, to, to put them in position that they are prepared for the interview, but also prepared for the job. That's what a lot of us are, are trying to do. Um, uh, the second part of it is you can't tell somebody who to hire. Um, you can put as many people in front of them as you like. You love for the processes to be open. 
opportunities to be open, but ultimately you're the owner of a, of a franchise. Uh, you're a, a team president, you're a general manager. Um, this is your responsibility and you have to feel great about whoever you're going to put in that chair. Um, so you're going to have your list of criteria that no one else has to approve. You have to, to have to hire the person that is, that is right for you and your franchise. So um, that's a difficult thing to crack. Um, all we can do is continue to grow the candidates, uh, prepare the candidates for the process as best as possible. Um, make sure that uh, a legitimate minority candidate does have an opportunity to at least get interviewed and be seen uh, on, on an even playing field with everybody else. But ultimately, whoever is making that decision, they're the ones that are going to be responsible for that decision, in particular team presidents and general managers. I mean, if it doesn't go well, they're going to get fired anyway. So uh, we can't force them to hire somebody they don't want to hire. Um, so that's the, to me, th those two big things are the crux of, of the issue. Um, so hopefully we continue to grow candidates and hopefully they have legitimate opportunities um, to interview, but then also to do the job once they get it. I'm excited when somebody leaves a decent uh, iTunes review of my podcast, let alone somebody prominently speaks to a national media person and says <laughs> this person should be, should be in consideration for these jobs. Like this isn't new, but like, how is it? I don't know what's it like. Is it how do you find it? How flattering do you find it when people do constantly talk about you in these circumstances? Or do you? I don't know. Is it awkward on some level because you're like, I'm just doing my job. Don't 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 talk about me. I I look at it as very understandable. Um, I tell my players when it comes up, it has a lot to do with them. Uh, the fact that they play very well on game day, the fact that they operate in such a way that is uh, that sheds a positive light on Stanford. Uh, university, Stanford Athletics, the football program, and me um, about uh, our guys. Um, it's understandable because um, I'm not like the typical college coach that's never been in the NFL. Um, I've got nine years of NFL experience, um, um, and, and thankfully I was able to earn some respect uh, at how hard I worked and the people that I worked for uh, while I was in the NFL. I worked for some people that were, you know, for two guys that have won Super Bowls and Brian Billick and, uh, and, and John Gruden. Um, so I think I've got a good reputation as far as the NFL is concerned. I think my, my, my draft process, uh, working with the NFL network, which I'll be doing again this year, um, has continued to kind of put my name out there as far as people seeing me as a, someone who understands the NFL and, and is a good NFL evaluator. So I see it as completely understandable, but at the same time, I'm extremely happy at Stanford. Uh, I, am a Stanford alum. Uh, my family loves it here. Uh, we've done a lot of great things in the last decade, best decade in the history of, of Stanford football. And uh, we're hoping the next decade's even better. Well, while you stay rooted at Stanford, your coaching tree is expanding. And one of the, one of your branches is here with Drew Terrell, a former receiver of yours, who's now the new wide receivers coach in Washington, got promoted to that job this year. I'd be lying if I said, I know a ton about him beyond the bio. We, you know, haven't been around anybody now for, for over a year. And also, you know, uh, the, you know, he had only been hired, right. As all starts, haven't had a real chance to, to meet him. Uh, what can you tell us about, uh, about this guy and where you surprised? I'm sure you have lots of players who you look at and think maybe they are a coach. Maybe they're not. Did you ever think that he was a coach, uh, based on your time together? You know, Drew, I don't think I've ever said this to Drew specifically, but Drew reminded me a lot of myself in college in that there, I always had a little chip on his shoulder. Um, wasn't the tallest guy, wasn't the fastest guy, but he was always productive. Um, he, I think he left Stanford in the top 10 in punt returns uh, in the history of Stanford football. 
Um, he made some huge plays that helped to get us to a Rose Bowl um, game-winning touchdown um, in the championship game against UCLA that got us to the got us to the Rose Bowl. Um, just every time we counted on him to make a play, he made a play, um, and he was always really, really smart. He was always one of those guys that could play all the positions. And I never wish uh, being a football coach on anybody, especially anybody with a Stanford degree, because there's so many other uh, things that they can do. Uh, but Drew's got the got the mentality for it. Um, he's got the uh, acumen. Uh, he's uh, very, very smart. He's very relatable, uh, very conversational. So he can talk to those guys and, and get them to, to understand what they're doing and why. Um, so I, I, I knew once he got into coaching, I knew he was going to be really good. And uh, it doesn't surprise me uh, that he's he's a receivers coach now and wouldn't surprise me in a couple of years if he's an offensive coordinator. Well, it's an interesting group he's got with uh, Terry McLaurin and uh, Curtis Samuel. So he's, he doesn't lack for, for talent. It'll be interesting to see what he can get done with that group. Um, two, I got two last questions for you, and then I appreciate your time. Uh, Bryce Love is on this team. He uh, has not, unfortunately, had a chance to play yet because of the knee injury he suffered at the end of his time with Stanford. And, you know, he's sort of a wild card here. Um, obviously, again, we really didn't have a chance to talk. We didn't have a chance to talk to him too much. He, he did participate in training camp but that was about kind of really the end the, the, all we saw of him I don't know how often you've, you 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 talked to Bryce or when you spoke to him last but I guess kind of what what uh what what's your sense of, of where he's at and 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 how I guess what's been the challenge mentally almost for him to deal with this because he obviously was such a promising college player and then to sort of what the way his pro career started obviously not the way anybody would want well you ask anybody in our program that was here with Bryce and uh, he'll be at the top of our list of, of the toughest guys that we've ever had here. So I never worry about Bryce, Bryce's work ethic. I never worry about his mentality. Um, no matter what's thrown in, in his, in his path, um, he's going to fight through it. Um, uh, I did talk to him this off season. Um, it's the best he's felt um, really since he's been in the NFL. Um, I'm hoping that that's able to get him to go do those things that he was able to do um, through the NFL network was able to watch uh, a couple of practices and saw him when he was out there healthy. I know he made some plays and started to show those flashes of, of what uh, the administration saw in him when they drafted him. Um, I just know this, if, if he's healthy, there are only a handful of guys um, in the NFL uh, that play the running back position that have the juice that this young man has. Um, make no mistake, uh, he's not the biggest guy but he led the nation in yards after contact um, uh, as, as a junior. Um, 2,000 yard rusher uh, and his fifth gear is a gear that you don't see very often. Um, it's, it's, it's along the likes of the top in the, in the country. So um, I'm hoping that, he, that he's healthy. I'm hoping that he gets an opportunity. I'm glad to hear that there's gonna be a preseason this year. Uh, so hopefully he can make it through the preseason and, and be able to get that, that first taste of NFL football um, cause I'll say it again, if he's healthy and he's got a crease, this guy's going to score touchdowns. Um, I think he, I don't know if he broke the record for most, uh, 50 yard touchdowns in a year, uh, whatever, whatever explosive play record there was out there, he broke it as a junior. So, um, I'm fired up for him to have that opportunity, uh, to do it on Sundays. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously I think everybody's wishing for him to get back on the field, just if nothing else, just to see, you know, for, 
somebody like anybody who, who pursues a dream, you want them to succeed, at least get the opportunity to succeed. And obviously, you know, it would be, it would be uh, great for him to get to get out there uh, for sure. Um, last thing, I know Ron Rivera is a Cal guy, so I don't know exactly how, how excited you are when he's uh, when he's drafting your players. So I'm kidding. But uh, looking back at Carolina's draft history, 2011, they spent a, a day two pick on a Stanford player in 2014. It was a day three pick. And then obviously they take Christian McCaffrey in 2017 that may not sound like a lot but if you compare it to other like Pac-12 schools that's a there's a lot more Stanford players getting drafted by a Ron Rivera team than some of the other ones uh, is there anything to that you mentioned before the pro uh, some scouts appreciating you guys running a pro style offense do you sense there's any specific reason why I mean it's easy to say why you take Christian McCaffrey but I mean do you sense anything as to why a Ron Rivera team would be interested in your players and based on that would you like to tell us in advance which one of your players they're going to draft this year (laughs) (laughs) well I I will say this um I love Ron Rivera um as a human being as a football coach I think he's outstanding the only negative thing I have about him is that he's a Cal guy uh but I think he respects what we do um and how we do it and the young people that we have um, on our, in our program. Uh, he knows when he drafts the Stanford guy, they're going to be tough. They're going to be smart. They're going to be athletic. Um, they're going to be guys that you can count on um, because I've had this conversation multiple times the last month. Uh, we had 36 guys on active rosters at the end of the year last year. And that's because Stanford guys don't screw up. It's a bottom line, right? Uh, you want your superstars to be great. And we've got a couple super superstars out there and Christian McCaffrey and Zach Hertz and David DeCastro is probably going to be a Hall of Famer. Richard Sherman's going to be a Hall of Famer. But then you also have a bunch of those other guys that are covering kicks, um, that are playing linebacker, um, that are playing safety, that do everything right. And when it comes down to it, um, the guys that do things right help you win games and they help you from being fired. So that's why you see a bunch of Stanford guys in the NFL. Uh, and I think Ron appreciates um, the toughness uh, and grit that our guys have. Um, and uh, he lets them know every once in a while that he's still a Cal guy. Uh, but I think he respects our program and uh, has no problem taking Stanford guys into his. Well, if we can have Cal and Stanford uh, uh, alum work together, maybe there's hope for our country overall. Uh, Co- Coach David Shaw, really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Uh, best of luck with spring practice, with recruiting and everything else that's coming up. Stay safe and also good luck on the uh, NFL Network during the draft. We'll be watching. I appreciate it. Thanks, Ben. All right. Uh, we, we've reached the point of the offseason where it's odd for, for Washington, where we, it doesn't feel like there's like any like, you know, hair on fire stories to discuss. We've, we've rehashed the same old, same old over and over again with regards to the quarterbacks and some of the draft topics. So, I decided I needed to reach out to a, a seasoned veteran when it comes to talking about this team and trying to like pull something out of the, you know, what to do it. No. So who, who better than Mr. Podcast himself, Al Galdi? Uh, wait, what is the name of your podcast? Is, is it just the Al Galdi podcast? The Al Galdi podcast. Exactly. It took me a long time to come up with that, but <laughs> finally arrived at a name. Well, you know, look, o- o- only, only people who have like, Nothing else to do. Spend all their time pondering, uh, you, know, fa- you know, fun names for their podcasts, um, like, like I did. Um, let me. Uh, so, so here's what I was thinking about doing. Um, you know, like I said, I, I wanted to just come up with like some r- random different ways to talk about the same things we keep talking about. So, I got, a, I got, I got ten questions on my list. I don't know if we'll get to them all, and you can certainly 
throw yours in as we go through this or who knows what else will come up. Um, so just in the spirit of randomness, I will let you pick number one to 10 and we'll start there. This is how, wow. this is, yeah, this is how, like, I don't know if I have any one question, I'm like, I have to get to this one, but I'm like, eh, you know, they're, they're, they're all weird. So we're not weird, but they're all different. I think, I don't know. We'll see who knows. So I'll, I'll let dealer's choice pick one to 10. What do you got? All right. Well, in honor of this Kansas city chiefs referendum that could allow for unusual numbers in the NFL, I will go with the number two in the hopes that Chase Young is wearing number two at some point soon for Washington. I, I like it when, when I watch the college games and the random, you know, player is wearing, you know, like the linebacker is wearing some like low number yeah. or the, or the receipt. Like, yeah. I, 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 I guess I go for it. I mean, you know, whatever, who cares? I, I think it's fun. It's different. Why the heck not? Why we have to be so stodgy about everything? So yeah, I'm with you on that. Yeah. I mean, we, I mean, we, it's, it's like back in the day when like the NBA, like, you players couldn't wear numbers that were above the second number couldn't be above a five. It was literally for the referees count, you know, to show off, to show their hands to yeah. the score table. They decided, Hey, you know what? We can move past that. We're more sophisticated than this. Yeah. Right, right. We can talk, we have eyes, we can see this thing. We can work, we can work this out. All right. I, ironically enough, number two, I'm just going to go straight here is a topic that we have discussed often, but it's maybe in a slightly different way. I think, I don't know. We'll see in a second. Uh, I am of the camp that they are not necessarily likely to take a quarterback. Yes, if there's value in, in the draft, if there's value, of course. But I mean, you know, just if for going in with the plan, I don't think they're looking that they have to take a quarterback considering you have Fitzpatrick, you have Ryan Fitzpatrick, Kyle Allen, and Taylor Heineke. I don't think I have to explain who they are. And yes, Steven Montez exists as well. Um, but here's the question. Let's say they do draft a quarterback. Well, they're not keeping – they can't realistically keep all four of these guys. Now, again, Montez, this is, let's put him on the practice squad. You can't realistically keep Fitzpatrick, Allen Heineke, and this new player. Fitzpatrick is going nowhere. So, therefore, the question is, who are you getting rid of? Kyle Allen or Taylor Heineke? Um, it's The easiest is to get rid of Kyle Allen because he doesn't have any dead money on his contract. Heineke is $1.5 million. Not That's not enough to sway. That's That's minimal. That, you know, they, they, they dumped Sean Davis last year, um, you know, for, for, for more than that. Um, and we know Ron Rivera loves Allen, but Heineke is the one who really had the best game last year uh, in the uh, of any quarterback. And to some degree, maybe there's because he's more of an unknown, there's maybe more upside in our heads or in some people's heads. So that's the question. If they actually do get rid of one of them, who would you I don't know if you want to say who, would, who do you think they would, but either who do you think they would or who would you get rid of? Yeah, so I think. I think that's a great question. I've actually pondered that myself because you're right. They're not going to keep four guys on the active roster if they do draft someone and you're not going to say practice squad, the draftee, if that guy is, you know, a day one or day two pick, certainly. So I would say this, number one, if Kyle Allen is still not completely healthy, I do think it's possible they start him off on pup. Now I know Ron did say weeks back that he expects Allen to be good to go for training camp. And maybe in fact, that's the case, but, We've all come to learn over the last few years that there's what we think is going to happen with a guy's injury recovery, and then there is what it does happen with that guy's injury recovery. So it wouldn't stun me if Allen, maybe they slow walk and he starts the year on pup. If they don't do that and Allen practices, I do have to think that Heineke would be the guy in the most trouble. Now, he did get the multi-year contract, but the terms of that contract were such that he is incredibly cuttable. You know, there's very little guaranteed money 
And if you just kind of simplify it, Kyle Allen is Ron Rivera's guy, right? Ron, I mean, that answer he gave in late December of, you know, hey, Ron, would you be here if not for Alex Smith? And he goes, yeah, if Kyle Allen stayed healthy. So we know Kyle is Ron's guy. Heineke is Scott Turner's guy. If it comes down to Rivera's guy versus Turner's guy, Rivera's guy is going to win that out. So my gut tells me if everyone's healthy and practicing and someone's got to go, it probably is Heineke, right? I mean, they gave up a fifth-round pick for Allen. Heineke was a late-season signee. I would not like to see Heineke go. I am intrigued by him, uh, maybe more than most. I mean, what he did against the Bucs, I don't think should be discounted. It's not just that it was a playoff game. It's all these different circumstances regarding that game. Great Bucs defense. Washington had no running game. Uh, Heineke was the victim of a number of drops by Washington pass catchers. Heineke gets hurt stays in the game, throws a touchdown pass to Steven Simpson. Like, there was so much to that performance that made it truly the best quarterback performance for Washington last year. But I think if someone's got to go, I think it probably would be Heineke. Yeah, I mean, like, because of the way we talk about these guys, we, we probably on some level, like, discount Allen more than is reasonable in this sense. The guy has started a bunch of NFL games, and I'm not saying he's any, he's shown anything that's going to say he's the next Aaron Rodgers or even the next Kirk Cousins or whatever. But at the same time, he has proven to be a viable NFL quarterback. Um, he, you know, the offense did start to tick up last year when he got in there versus Dwayne Haskins, and I understand that's a low bar. But the point is, you don't throw away viable NFL quarterbacks at any level, and maybe he is the next. Maybe he is your QB two for the next several years. That is, as we know, is an important p- position, and it is clearly Ron Rivera's guy. I, I I would think that if you release Kyle Allen, he gets scooped up by somebody in one second. Um, I don't know if Taylor Heineke is even on a roster right now. If Washington doesn't sign him as early as they did, maybe he is. But like, if you know, just look at the market that you know the the the, the obvious backups kind of went. I mean, Colt McCoy only just signed the other day and you know whatever you think of Colt McCoy he's more established obviously than Taylor Heineke and Heineke put himself on an NFL roster with his play in the playoffs and I agree with you there is more intrigue with him because of what he did but at the same point you know as we again we don't need to go through it all but he you know gets hurt when he plays and there's a reason why he was out of the league and all that stuff but I would agree that Allen is the safer one but this is also why the conversation we're having is also why I don't think they're actually going to logically take a quarterback because there is enough intrigue with these two guys to be like, you, you don't just take somebody and say, well, I don't know if he'll be my long-term starter, but because he, but, but, but he, I know he can play in the league. So I'm just going to like cast him aside. I just don't see that. Also with regard to these day two, day three quarterbacks in talking to people around the league, look, I, I don't know what people were saying about Russell Wilson or Kirk cousins or Dak Prescott uh, when they were those guys, but I don't hear any real excitement for any of these guys. Um, I mean, I hear, I hear that they're, you know, the, the, the teams are wowed by workouts and all that, but whatever. I don't know how much of that's, you know, <laughs> fake or not, but I don't hear any real like, wow, this guy is going to be projects. If things go right, projects to be a really good starter. So I would rather roll the dice on Allen and Heineke, see if I can get more out of them than take a, a guy, especially on day two, when I should be getting a starter. So any of it, the answer to the question for me as well is, is Allen is the guy who wins that battle. Most likely um, I'm going to sort of push, I'm going to look past the injury and assume he's ready to go for camp, but that would be my, that would be my view um, as well. Um, all right. That, that worked out reasonable. Would you like, I'll get, you're on a roll. I'll let you, you're the guy at the craps table. You, you, you got a good, you got a good roll on your first dice uh, on your first throw. What, what, what would you like to pick now? 
All right, I'll go with one of the heroes of my youth, Cal Ripken Jr. and number eight. Okay. Um, obviously, it feels like whenever we talk about this place, it's always sort of a hair on fire circumstance. And obviously there are still some things happening, you know, right now. I mean, Dan Snyder just bought um, out the minority owners and now he owns 100%. But, and, you know, it sort of indicates that the Bethel Wilkinson report may not lead to anything substantial in terms of pet penalty or punishment for the owner and that, you know, whatever. But the fact that that is still a thing leads to this sort of the point of, um, you know, there's always something going on with this place. But do we, are we sleeping on the fact that it has been relatively calm on the football side of things? I mean, this is not something that we're typically used to. Last year, it was calm, but it was also weird because you had the pandemic and it was new. So even if it was calm, but it just, it was different. So therefore it, it maybe didn't feel chaotic, but it was just unique this year. Okay. We still have Rivera, this new front office, but everything's been pretty calm. They made three big signings in the first three days of free agency. It's been pretty quiet since, I mean, nobody is screaming. Wow. Those moves were, were terrible. You know, things seem to be in line. I, or, 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 do we not discuss this enough or maybe you guys do and I'm just not hearing really. Do we, do we, are we sort of sleeping on the fact that it's been relatively calm at this place, which is not nothing? Uh, perhaps to an extent. I think with this team, you always have to kind of wait and see because <laughs> yes. what, may, what may be a calm environment in March and April could be total chaos come July and August, right? I mean, last year, the insanity of the name change and the sexual harassment scandal and the ownership turmoil, that didn't all break until the summer. That didn't all really get ratcheted up until June, July. So I kind of would want to wait before I christen this, you know, a new era of, of just, you know, tranquility in the offseason. But to your point, yeah, I mean, it's been a pretty boring offseason. I mean, probably the most controversial thing, if you want to even call it a controversy, was the end of the Alex Smith run and, you know, the GQ comments and kind of what went into that. But that situation was kind of taken care of rather quickly. Like he got released, what, more than a month ago now. And it's not like there's been a bunch of back and forth between the two sides ever since i mean you know it's not a given alex uh, continues to play in the nfl we'll see i think somebody probably picks him up but it obviously hasn't happened yet but i, I think definitely with ron there is this there, there is very much a sense of hey this guy knows what he's doing he had a very good first season all things considered but we all know how things go that guys can get off to good starts and things can appear to be different and they're different until they're not different i mean when mike shanahan and bruce allen got hired late 09 early 2010 we all had the same conversations of, hey, things are better. Things are different. Things make more sense. And you come to find out, well, no, not exactly. It just took a while for it to kind of come to the surface that things were still problematic. So I'd like to wait and see. But, yeah, like, are there – is there a reason to think that this time is different? And is there a reason to think that some of the drama of years past has gone bye-bye? There is. There is. I think if we can make it through the summer, if we can make it to August 1, and, you know, nobody's got arrested – and there's no sign of infighting, and there's nothing like that, then I think we're in really good shape. But it's, it's just, we've seen it happen too many times. I didn't even mention, like last summer, right, the Darius Geist thing. I mean, that came out of nowhere for most people. So it's like the way you viewed the offseason last March and April was significantly altered just a few months later. So we'll see what goes down. But it's hard to ever repeat what happened in 2020 with this team. I don't know that any team in the history of sports has ever had a year like the Washington football team had in the calendar year of 2020. So, so far, so good. And let's just hope that it continues in terms of the peacefulness. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, I mean, my, my basic answer to this is 
no matter what is happening, the Dan Snyder factor is always looming and you can yep. never be sure what's going to happen. I mean, you know, it's, it, it wasn't that long ago that he, according to basically anybody who's, who's talked about this, he pushed to get Dwayne Haskins. That was a lesson that was not, you know, it wasn't that long ago. It wasn't ancient history. It wasn't, uh, you know, trading up for RG3 even. That was pretty recent and he was orchestrating that. So long way to go for sure. But at the same point, in terms of Ron Rivera and the front office, it does feel like, you know, things are, 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 are in a pretty good position. I sort of laugh a little bit and chuckle when, when Ron talks about, you know, how the front office is working together. And he says it's something like, you know, I was, I, I was talking to somebody and they, and they pointed something out that I wouldn't have noticed on my own. And that's what you want. I'm like, well, yeah, of course, that's, <laughs> that's kind of how it's supposed to work. I, I would hope that yeah. everybody's coming at this with, you know, the, your own perspective and you're not afraid to share your voice and all that. But regardless, it feels like it's, you know, it feels like it's, it, it, it's going okay. Um, you know, what they did for agency seemed to be logical. Obviously we'll see how William Jackson and Curtis Samuel play out, but you know, everything they did seemed to make sense. There's now the draft will come up and that'll be a big test um as well so yeah i would agree it's always you gotta you gotta watch you gotta you gotta wait for 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 what might happen with ownership but at the same time you know it's worth noting at least in the moment things feel to be and also it's not just that it's also pulling in the same direction whereas before you know the front office might draft a player that seemed to make no sense for the for the coaching staff or whatever it feels like everything is pulling in the same direction which rivera uh, being the guy you know running everything is kind of would make sense um, all right, I'll take the I'll take the pressure off you and just ask you a question here. Okay. So one of the big sliding doors moments, or maybe the biggest one, is what happens if Washington doesn't make the playoffs, right? So they make the playoffs, they get the experience of going of, of that game against Tampa Bay, and um, you know you, you win the division. Of course, um, you get some extra attention from that. You 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 know. It wasn't just that one game, but, you know, playing for a division title down the stretch also gave the younger players, in theory, the, the, the feeling of that, 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 that pressure situation and then the playoff game as well. But in doing so, they dropped from picking either like in the 10 or 11 spot to picking 19. And here's my question. How does this season unfold any differently if, in, if they actually had lost just, say, that last game to Philadelphia and ended up picking 10 or 11 how does anything look different the one thing that's the most obvious there is no taylor heineke because the, the hype is the playoff game i mean you know maybe he signed as whatever but nobody is discussing him in the context of he's interesting he's just like well it's a training camp arm whatever but then there's also the draft positioning right i mean you're picking 19 versus 10 or 11 um, for all kinds of positions and obviously quarterback being the most obvious but there's also, you know, I don't know, maybe the other, there's other things that happened with the free agents. So what do you, do you, how do you see anything unfolding differently, if at all, if they pick 10, 11 instead of 19? So a few things from a draft perspective and taking a quarterback, you still would be in rough shape when it comes to getting any of the top four quarterbacks in this draft, whoever you happen to think are the top four. Now, if you go by the mocks, right, it feels like at 10 or 11, there is a decent chance Justin Fields falls to you. But beyond that, you know, you're not getting Lawrence. You're not getting Wilson. Uh, It doesn't look like you're getting Mac Jones. So unless you really believe in Fields or Lance or, you know, obviously someone like a Trask or a Mond, you're still kind of in a difficult spot with the quarterback position, right? I mean, if they evaluate the quarterbacks the way everyone else seems to be evaluating them, you're going to be getting no better than the number four or five quarterback in this class with that pick. So I don't know if you're that 
much uh, better off or that much different when it comes to drafting a quarterback in the first round at 10 or 11. Now, could you make a more reasonable trade up from that spot? You could. Um, would you make the deal? Like, would you outbid what the Niners gave up to the Dolphins? You know, we don't know that. They don't seem to be in a rush to do something like that. So I'm not even sure then that things are appreciably different at quarterback. Here's what I think might be really different at quarterback. I don't know that they signed Ryan Fitzpatrick. I think if they're coming off a non-playoff year, you know, obviously that means they lost at least one more game. Their flaws are highlighted even further. I wonder if they go the route of signing the veteran guy, even a guy like Fitzpatrick, who, I mean, he's coming off back-to-back really good years statistically. He's someone who I think has been sneaky productive in recent years. And I think there are a lot of things to actually be excited about with what he could bring the offense this year. I don't know, though, that they sign a guy like that this offseason. So maybe they do do something like making a trade for a Sam Darnold. Maybe they just say, hey, at 10 or 11, we'll just take the next best available quarterback and hope that one of the big five is still around at that point. But I, I think quarterback is where it actually could be the most significantly different. Now, obviously, if you don't go quarterback at 10, 11, you're going to have a better uh, selection of guys to choose from in terms of the non QBs. But, you know, I look at 10, 11 versus 19. I mean, we all know how these drafts go. It's not like the best players go in the exact orders of these drafts. So like there are, there are a ton of guys over the years who've been great, who've been available at number 19 overall. So like, if you know what you're doing, I think you still get a good player in this upcoming draft in the first round. Just like, obviously, you could still do that at 10 or 11. But I do think at quarterback, things might be different because I think the perception of things might be different. And I say that even knowing, and Ron Rivera said it many times, like, you know, he's not been, he's not being diluted by Washington having won the NFC East. Like, that's one of the things I really liked about Ron this offseason. He's not falling for the fool's gold of, hey, we made the playoffs, you know, like now we got to go all in on this next season. Like he said, it, the division wasn't very good. We did only go seven and nine. Like he recognizes their flaws. but. Even with that said, they did make the postseason. The defense took a giant step forward. You have these young playmakers. They saw fit to sign a guy like Fitzpatrick. I wonder if they still would have done that had they not made the postseason. Yeah, so it's interesting, right? So um, at picking a 10 or 11, in a worst-case scenario, you're in a better position to trade up if a quarterback were to slide. Now, free agency happened a long time ago at this point, right? I mean, two or three weeks ago, and, um, you know, the war, like at that point, people weren't viewing Mac Jones as the third pick in the draft. Um, you know, it did feel like there was a chance that quarterbacks could go, you know, th- the top three picks, top four, or, or all five go in the top 10. So potentially Washington would have to trade up regardless, but you, it's hard to know. And, and the Fitzpatrick part is interesting because of, because of that, right? So when you're on the first day of, of, of uh, free agency, you don't know exactly if you're picking 10 or 11, if you're actually going to be in position to get one of these players, right? San Francisco, um, obviously waited until after free agency started and they already had a quarterback in Garoppolo. So they weren't, uh, you know, they, I presume, I believe we're, we're in the, in the Stafford sweepstakes, but they weren't necessarily looking to get the Fitzpatrick's of the world. I, I would think, although we don't know Fitzpatrick's uh, suitors. Um, so it is interesting on that front, like does Washington wait because you can't assume you're going to get 10, uh, 10 or 11. On the other hand, you do have Kyle Allen, so maybe you think, well, we have a guy, and if you do decide to re-sign Heineke, just again, we wouldn't he we wouldn't have seen the Tampa Bay game. But if you decide, well, we saw enough of Heineke in camp or whatever to think he can be a body for us, and maybe he could play. They obviously liked him before at Carolina, as well. So yeah, the Fitzpatrick part to me is still interesting because I don't know if you wait on that, taking one of those quarterbacks. They all went pretty quick. 
the Fitzpatrick's, the Daltons, again, think whatever you want to say about these guys, Tyrod Taylors, they all went quick. So if you wait one week into free agency, I, I don't know what who we're looking at right now as the, the likely week one starter if they wait. So I, I kind of feel like they do wait. But the thing would be, if there's no Heineke in the obvious sense, then there's an actual roster spot. So trading up or even now taking a guy later in the draft would make a little more sense. Um, I, I don't think, I mean, Curtis Samuel, I think we would all project him to still come here. I, I guess the only thing I like, a guy like a William Jackson is money talks. I'm assuming Washington made the best offer <laughs> in his mind, but the fact that Washington did get some extra hype down the stretch because of the playoff appearance, they were the most unique team. Yeah. They had a losing record, but here they were. And you've got, you know, how did they get there? Chase Young, Ron Rivera story, Alex Smith story was woven into that to a degree. Um, so you wonder about a guy like Jackson, did, did Washington gain some extra attention from that? But yeah, I mean, the quarterback thing is pretty fascinating um, for, 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 for sure. I, I don't know. Part of me wonders if they do trade up a little bit, um, especially now because of like uh, the, the fact that the quarterbacks look like they'll be pushed back a bit. So, you know, trading up to seven or eight doesn't seem like a massive stretch um, at, to get a guy that you think could be, your, you know, your quarterback of the future. So I do think that's interesting. Um to, to say the least. I think something else to think about is this. The defense had a terrible game in that playoff game. Right. If you don't have that playoff game, do you maybe think more highly of the defense going into the offseason? Like, that, that was a sobering night, what the Bucks did to that Washington defense that Saturday night. And if Washington loses one more game and doesn't make the postseason, you say, ah, you know, it's that gosh darn offense, you know, the defense, look how great it was. And it was much improved, but it definitely has another level to get to. We saw that in the playoff game against the Bucks. You would not have had that reveal to whatever extent it was a reveal had Washington not made the postseason. Um, yeah, no, that's, that's a great point. That's a fantastic point because the hype at that point on the defense was, uh, was very high. I mean, they were, yeah. they were wrecking, the Nick Mullins is of the world. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, it, it, that was a good reminder that, well, they're not there. They're not, they're not quite there uh, yeah. yet for sure. Um, all right, let me get off the quarterbacks for a minute and go to a different random question here. Of these current roster scenarios, what is the bigger issue? If what is here now is how the season opens that the starting safety is some sort of combination of Jeremy Reeves and DeShazer Everett that the current tight ends beyond Logan Thomas are the ones who are actually on the roster or that the offensive line is the same starting five, meaning Cornelius Lucas, Wes Schweitzer, Chase Rue, Brandon Sheriff, Morgan Moses. W which of those is the bigger concern? And I would just say off the top, obviously to some degree, they're, they're different. Like the offensive line was solid down the stretch, but at the same time, I think there's room to grow at the most important position of the ones I just said in terms of tackle. So it's sort of like, it's not, these are not necessarily weighted equally, but it's like backup tight end is obviously not equal to the starting left tackle, but at the same point, what is there is pretty deficient. Um, and, and, and to go into that would be arguably, you know, not good. So which of those three, you know, on a weighted scale, as it were, do you think is the bigger issue if they go into the season where it is now? Yeah, I actually think it's the tight end situation. Uh, the offensive line, like you said, ended up actually being pretty decent. And for all the talk early in the year about how bad the offensive line was, once Dwayne got benched and you got other guys out there, the offensive line didn't look so bad. And if you go by the pro football focus stuff, the offensive line actually graded out quite well 
uh, over the course of the year. It wasn't just Brandon Sheriff who ended up having a good season. Morgan Moses did, Chase Roulier did, uh, Schweitzer and Lucas were solid. So, um, yes, you can do better on the offensive line, but it's not this uh, calamity that people made it out to be. Same thing at safety. I mean, that was a, a revelation what happened as the season went on, which you had in Cameron Curl, which you got added to Shazer Everett, even what you got out of Jeremy Reeves. So if you have to go with those guys again next year, I mean, do you want to do better from a talent perspective? Sure. But you can make hay with those guys. Washington made hay with those guys as the season went on. I think a major concern is the depth of tight end beyond Logan Thomas, especially in a league now where you're going with so many two tight end sets. Uh, you really don't have anything beyond Logan. I mean, it's remarkable when you look at Logan's 2020. Yes, what he did, but also the extent to which he played. Like, he didn't take snaps off. He was out there like 100% of the offensive snaps, game yeah. in, game out. And he was like the only tight end who got targeted. They, they never targeted Jeremy Sprinkle, Marcus Ball, Tamara Hemingway, like whoever else you want to go with. And that's fine and dandy if Logan Thomas is staying healthy. But this is the NFL. You can't just assume that, okay? And I, I still find it really um, – I mean, it's fortuitous that he never got hurt last year. But, man, they leaned on him a ton. I mean, a guy who was very unproven at the position. Now, it paid off spectacularly in a great year. But you got to have more than him at tight end just because – like I said, you don't know what could happen if he gets hurt, and you'd like to have the luxury of doing more with your two tight end sets. So that's that's one of the things that's really surprising about the offseason so far. I actually can understand why they haven't done a ton at linebacker. I'm not saying I'm not surprised by that, but they went with so many two linebacker looks last year that it may well be that linebacker isn't the priority to them that it is to us. But at tight end, I don't know how you frame this anyway other than after Logan Thomas, you really don't have anything, at least anything of a known quantity. And they've, that's got to be addressed at some point here. So, I mean, I, I was just – I wanted them to go after Jonu Smith. I don't know if they did or not, but they obviously didn't get him. They obviously didn't get Hunter Henry. Like, they kind of just let the tight end market – you know, perhaps they made an offer and we just don't know. But I, that, that's, that's kind of the one spot where I've been like, hmm – that's uh, that's not what I think I would be doing and what a lot of others would be doing. But, you know, I give them the benefit of the doubt. We'll see. But I think right now there is a definite question mark, a big question mark at what you have at the tight end position after Logan. Yeah, um, my, my sense is they didn't go after John New Smith for what it's worth. But um, but yeah, no, it's a big question. I think they like Tamara Hemingway who was one of these guys who was had Carolina ties, but yeah, I mean, you know, it's not like we saw enough to think, Oh, okay, well he can play. That's that, that, that's, that's fine. Um, yeah, I, it, it is. I mean, I thought last year they were going to draft somebody. I know they tried, but it didn't work out this year's yeah. draft. Um, our draft uh, insider, Dane Brugler just put out his like 200 something page draft guide. It's insane. Uh, but it's, you know, great information, but I just, I skimmed it really quick and he only has like, I think four tight ends with like a, a, a day one or day two sort of feel. And so, you know, and obviously Kyle Pitts will be gone before 19. So, uh, you know, there's, it's not like you can just say, well, go get a tight end high in the draft because there's not that many options and other teams are going to need that position as well. So yeah, it, it does feel like they've got to figure out how to address this. And it's been surprising if they haven't done even kind of like, even not even like the David Mayo version of, of the position. Um, be curious. I do wonder, I guess on some level, you, you know, you've got a guy like Kelvin Harmon. There's always been some buzz about, could you move him there? And, you know, I reported the other day, this whole thing about Steven Montez, not playing tight end per se, but, you know, maybe playing this sort of, you know, versatile 
chess piece kind of kind of guy do they look at something like that and think well if we don't love anything we're not going to force it we'll try some of these things but i agree uh the offensive line also likes to charles somehow fits in there and i still think kind of you could view him as the even if they don't get a tackle high like he is this he would be the you know the, right. the, the new addition as it were um i i think reeves and everett i definitely think they're looking to upgrade from that but at least there's something you can't solve all your issues in a single offseason typically so at least they have something there um I did not include Troy Apke. We'll see if he makes the team, but uh, yeah, that didn't, uh, that didn't work out so well, but you know, Everett, I mean, before he got hurt, he was giving them some really good play of free safety. So if nothing else, you have some newly discovered depth at the position with those guys, you know, and, and Ron, that was another one of those things that Ron did that looked so smart as the year went on, not signing Eric Reed going with Jeremy Reeves. I mean, would Eric Reed have done any better than Jeremy Reeves did? as Reeves played as the season went on, I, I tend to think probably not. Um, all right. I got a couple more questions here that we need to hear Al's take on. Uh, we mentioned the idea of trading up. You specifically mentioned, I think the 49ers, what they gave up to move up from 12 to three to jump from 19 to say four, which is where the Falcons are picking. They, it feels like they are now like the, we, we, we know essentially the 49ers will pick a quarterback we'll see who it is, but we kind of at least know the position. The Falcons yeah. are in a weirder spot. They don't really need to take a quarterback for now because you have still have Matt Ryan, but there's some argument that they should take one for their future. But then you have guys like Kyle Pitts and, and, and Jamar Chase there, and you know maybe you don't want to pass on a talent. So if you're going to, if they're going to trade out though, you're going to have to give up a lot. So would you, based on everything we know right now, would you make the 49ers trade to go up to four? So the 49ers gave up, three number ones so that their first round pick this year, 12, two future number ones and a 2022 third. It lets us say that 2022 third kind of maybe has to become a second because Washington is picking 19. You got to maybe, or, or there was an extra pick. So essentially this trade may be a little bit more. Would you make this trade to get Justin Fields or Trey Lance? If we assume that the other, that Lawrence Wilson and Jones go. I wouldn't. And I say that as someone who's a very big believer in the importance of the quarterback position and a very big believer in you have to act boldly and aggressively. But I don't know how you can look at Fields or Lance and, and be so convinced that he will work out to where he's worthy of giving up what it's going to take to move up from 19 to four. I mean, that, that is a giant leap to make, right? We're not talking going from six to two like he did in 2012. And even that cost was exorbitant. We're talking of going up 15 spots. And there's a lot to like about fields, especially physical freak, the 4-4-4-40 at the Ohio State Pro Day, exceptionally accurate over his two seasons with the Buckeyes. But there are questions about Justin Fields. You know, in two of his last three games at Ohio State, he did not look good. And I know there was some injury that had something to do with that. But the Big Ten title game against Northwestern, the championship game against Alabama, things did not go so well. Now, he was exceptional in the win over Clemson in the semis. But, you know, I wonder about that. I wonder about with Justin Fields, the extent to which he threw to wide open pass catchers at Ohio State. If you go by Pro Football Focus's data, very few of Justin Fields' collegiate completions were tight window completions. We know what the NFL is. It's a tight window league. Guys aren't running screening wide open. Is Fields going to excel when it comes to that? Justin Fields primarily threw to his number one target on pass plays at Ohio State. We know that's not how the NFL works. Is that something he can do well at the NFL level? Maybe the answer is yes, but I, I, you know, there's enough 
there are enough question marks he feels. And I didn't even bring up the Dan Orlovsky work ethic stuff to where I, I don't know how you can say, okay, yes, absolutely. He's going to work out, give up the three ones and the two twos and the player of consequence to go from 15 to four, because that's probably what you're going to have to do. And then with Trey Lance, again, physical freak, a lot to like. Um, Todd McShay very early on in the mock draft season, mocked Lance to Washington at 19. I was all for that. I was like, you know what? If Trey Lance falls to Washington at 19, I'd be totally fine with that. I would even be okay with Washington trading up a few spots to take Lance. Like if for some reason Lance falls to 15 or 16 and you really like him, make that trade up. But I don't know how you could make the trade up to take Lance, given that he essentially played just one season. It was at an FCS school. And while he put up great numbers that year, you know, we, we don't know how much of a, of a polished product he will be. We don't know how well he will do. Uh, Lance's last game for North Dakota State was not a very good game. Now, I know it's just one game, but like he didn't leave you with a great final impression. So there, there are just there are too many question marks. When Washington signed Ryan Fitzpatrick, I was like you. I mean, that didn't completely eradicate them drafting a quarterback on day one or certainly day two. But it did seem to speak of we view our realistic quarterback options in the NFL draft as not being great. And we don't view any of these guys who we could potentially trade up to take as being worthy of trading up. So I just don't see either Fields or Lance as enough of a certainty to warrant the price that Washington would have to pay. And then there's this. And I know every uh, instance is its own entity, but it's become impossible to ignore, Ben, how many of these trade-ups to draft quarterbacks aren't working out. Trade-ups like into the top five. I mean, whether it's Carson Wentz or Jared Goff or Mitchell Trubisky, or Sam Darnold, all these teams make these trade-ups to take these guys, and then sooner rather than later, they want out from those guys. They, they want to divorce from those guys. And that's even when, you know, like, Goff did get the Rams to a Super Bowl. I feel like people forget that. And even yeah. still, the Rams wanted nothing to do with them moving forward. Like, I just, these trade-ups aren't working. Like, if you can do a reasonable trade-up like Buffalo did for Josh Allen, like the Chiefs did for Patrick Mahomes, okay. But by and large, man, especially the recent history, I mean, I'm going to bring up RG3. But these big trade-ups to get into the top fours, top threes of drafts, I mean, look at the data. They're, they're not working out. No, no, it's, it's, I, it's a great point, and I, I, I largely agree with all that. I mean, obviously, we don't know what they think of these quarterbacks, but at the same time, you know, we've heard more about them being aggressive going – like, I thought they would go be aggressive going to get a veteran even before the Matthew Stafford stuff came out based on just – kind of how it felt with, with what things Rivera had said and kind of where they were. And now, you know, we have heard not nearly as much about, or, you know, the, every time somebody mentions that Washington could be a team that trades up, I feel like it's just that insider reporter guessing. They're looking at teams on the list that need a quote, quarterback, quote unquote, rather than it being sources say Washington right. is actively exploring trading up to get right. Trey Lance. And so I, I, I agree. I don't, and it doesn't make, I don't think they're, it doesn't sense that they're that they're there, and I, I I don't think so either. Or at least I wouldn't be. And I think again between the Fitzpatrick and the other guys they have, I think they're like you know what, we have enough for now. We'll see where we are next year. Plus, there has been an obviously an extraordinary amount of quarterback movement this off season. Um, you know, with Stafford, with Wentz, with Golf. We'll see what happens. You know, in some other spots. But now going into next year, the Aaron Rodgers thing, the Russell Wilson thing, uh, with Deshaun Watson's in a whole other category right now. But you know, all these things who knows what happens there as well as with other spots. So waiting for that type of move, it seems more interesting now than it would be historically. 
So I think that's another reason to not feel you have to go um, trade up. Um, yeah, speaking- I mean, you you can't ever schedule when you go after your franchise quarterback. You really have to see the circumstance, and then you have to pounce on a circumstance that's really appealing to you. To what you said, I've never gotten the sense that they're in love with this quarterback draft class, or at the very least, in love with it enough to where they're willing to do whatever it takes to get one of these guys. You know, like assuming you have no shot at Trevor Lawrence, you have no shot at Zach Wilson. I, I don't think they view these other guys as enough of a certainty to do what it's going to take to get these guys. And, and I don't blame them. Um, I, I just, you, you know, this thing of like they have to figure out quarterback this offseason, you don't have to do anything, okay? You got to behave smart, smartly. You got to behave responsibly. I think they're trying to do that. And if they don't get their quarterback of the future this offseason, I don't think that's the end of the world. It may be that there isn't a quarterback of the future available to them this offseason. Um, all right, here's my last question. I mean, technically I have more, but I can't keep Al here all day. He's got a life to lead. Uh, so, okay, trade-ups. We keep just talking about it in the context of quarterback, but teams do trade up for other positions, and Washington does have some other some other needs. I don't know how much you've kind of really studied the draft board, but I'm sure you've looked at it enough. Is there anybody else that you would trade up for? If you were Washington, I'm not necessarily, I mean, you could say if you want trade up to get Kyle Pitts, we already said that they could use another tight end, but that's obviously it's a pretty, it's a pretty steep price, probably similar to what you're at with quarterback. Um, but there are other players. I'll, I'll hold off mine, I guess, for a second here and let you answer. An answer can be no, it can be based on the board. We can wait, but uh, yeah, I mean, we meaning Washington, I'm not a we, <laughs> uh, but, if, but, but based on that, um, what, is there anybody that you would trade up for? So I'm a big Micah Parsons fan. Yes. I know, though, that there are enough other good linebackers to where if you don't get Parsons, you could still get yourself a really good linebacker. I mean, I'm not a guy who says, like, okay, address linebacker in the first round. Like, I think you let the board guide the draft. You go best player available. But if you're asking me, like, is there someone who you think is really good as a non-quarterback who you, who you could, you know, see Washington – justifiably trading up at least a few spots to take like someone like a Parsons to me would make sense there are obviously some excellent receivers in this draft but the draft is so loaded at receiver I I don't I would not trade up to take any of these receivers because I think you could find a really good receiver available to you at 19 to say nothing of the way it can work with these receivers where if, if you just have better quarterback play I think your receivers end up looking a lot better anyway so to answer your question assuming Pitts isn't an option because like you said, he's probably going to go, you know, top five, top six at worst. Parsons would be my answer. That would be mine as well. Uh, You know, there's some questions about him, I think from a maturity standpoint that I wonder to what degree those are real. How much does that mesh with Ron Rivera's constant talk of culture? I don't know the answers to that. Um, That part aside, you know, I just think like, I know Rivera said nice things about the linebackers when we spoke to him last week, but it, it's you know it cannot be lost on on anybody that this guy a former NFL linebacker as was Jack Del Rio would want more out of that position and it does feel like Parsons is you know I think from a pure talent standpoint I mean people think Parsons could go top five top eight but see some of these other issues could push him could push him back so I guess it's all relative like Jeremiah Usu Karamo from Notre Dame is a very different type of linebacker he's not a traditional linebacker at all he's more of just a versatile chess piece you can play at linebacker at slot at safety. Um, Jamin Davis is, is more of a traditional linebacker who I think could be there at 19. 
Um, Zayvon Collins is a, is a different type of guy as well, but it does feel like Parsons is sort of above them. And I think that would yeah. make sense. The other guy I think would be interesting is Penny Sewell, the tackle from Oregon. Like he is, is it Oregon or Oregon? I always forget how to say this thing. I say Oregon. All right. So do I, for some reason, I think we're wrong, but hopefully, I don't know if I'm getting a big demo in the Portland area. So we'll see if somebody wants to yell at me. Um, really? It's Oregon. I didn't, I've never said that. I feel, like it's, I feel like, I feel like Oregon is not accurate. Oh, really? Okay. Well, somebody... I, I know I know it's Nevada, not Nevada. I know that's a big thing for people in Nevada. But... <laughs> yes, there's that as well. Um, but like, you know, so Penny Sewell could be going fifth to the Bengals. I think that for the, the Bengals, it's a, right. it's a Sewell versus a receiver situation. But if he doesn't go there, you know, it could get interesting. Miami could use a tackle, but he's on the left side in theory. You got two as a, as a lefty quarterback. I don't know. Maybe you know, that feels like they're going to take a receiver. The Lions yeah. could take a tackle, but I don't, it's not like a desperate need. For them, Carolina, I think Woods could take a tackle, but, you know, quarterback is there. Well, actually, I don't know what their deal is anymore. Maybe a quarterback isn't. But anyway, if Penny Sewell makes it into, you know, closer to the top to 10, you know, he could be interesting because everybody talks about him being a, a sort of a generational talent at that position. Um, and obviously it's one they need. And I don't know if, you know, I don't know if one of the top four offensive linemen will be there at 19. It's very possible, but not, but I don't think it's likely. So if he slides, that could be um, interesting. Receiver would frustrate me if they did. Forget, forget this trading, even just taking one in 19. Man, I do not like investing that much in a position. People have heard me talk about this. Plus, I feel like we're kind of sleeping on Cam Sims a little bit. I'm not saying that he's the answer, but, uh, you know, I mean, his last nine games, or from week nine on last year, he was 35 reception for 520 yards. McLaurin was 50 for 616. I mean, that's and, and McCorn had a lot more targets. I'm not remotely comparing the two. I'm just saying, I feel like Cam Sims is pretty productive. Plus they got Curtis Samuel, plus Adam Humphreys, plus the other lottery tickets they have. I, I would hope they wouldn't take one at 19, let alone trade up. But, um, you know, if, if talent is talent and you guys have to decide, you know, what, what, what is there? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I guess my only thing would be if Kadarius Tony is there and you think he's Tyree kill 2.0 then yes take him but you better be right about that like it better be someone special at receiver who you get because you can certainly get receivers later in drafts this is a loaded draft at receiver and I always come back to this I, I not not to say that receiving receivers are overrated but in 2012 when Washington had the offense from the heavens Robert was throwing to Joshua Morgan and Leonard Hankerson and an aging Santana Moss. You know, Pierre Garçon member missed half that year with a toe injury. So it's like Aldrick Robinson was a big receiver that year. The, the, the quarterback, by and large, makes the receivers more than the receivers make the quarterback. That's not to say receivers don't matter. They do. That's not to say that receivers can't help. They can. But what matters more than anything to get this passing game where Washington needs it to be is the quarterback play to be better. I think they're good enough at receiver to where if the quarterback play is better, the production will be there. So unless it's someone special, uh, and you better be right about this, uh, I'm with you. I, I think receiver is one of those positions you deal with later on. I, I think the positional value there uh, enters into the equation when you're discussing whether to take a receiver in the first round. Um, great thoughts. Good job picking uh, picking my my questions for me. <laughs> I appreciate I appreciate that. Anything you need to uh, would like to to plug or discuss or anything else along the lines before I let you go back into the wild? Uh, well, just my my two podcasts, the Al Galdi podcast, which I come out with every weekday, Monday through Friday by five a.m. We talk a ton about the Washington football team, and 
other DC area sports teams. So definitely check that out. And also the Nats Chat podcast. It's essentially a post-game Nationals podcast, a podcast for after every Nats game, myself and Mark Zuckerman. So uh, definitely check those out. You can uh, find them wherever you find the Standing Room Only podcast. I don't anticipate getting invited to the Nats podcast for good reason. <laughs> but if you ever feel like going down a path of like letting somebody come on and crap on Jason Worth, I'm your guy. Oh, listen, you and I are on the same page there. I mean, I have nothing personal against Jason yeah, Worth, no, but personal. I think I think Nats fans way overrate the Jason Worth signing. So uh, I'm with you on that. All I can tell you is having been in that locker room a ton during those years, it was the pill of a locker room you couldn't do any, nobody it was no no enthusiasm no emotion nobody yeah. was doing anything and then when they won the world series what was that locker room like it was a freaking party because you know why because one guy who was the pill he left the guy who was basically telling everybody don't do anything and i really think that bryce harper sort of followed that lead Strasburg maybe already was sort of wired that way but i think we've seen him evolve a bit more as well and i don't think that was a good scene at all but this is what happens in, in locker rooms. Ryan Zimmerman was the Cal Ripken, like, follow my lead guy, not my I'm going to lead you guy. Right. And there was nobody, you know. No, I, I don't think you're wrong on that. And it's amazing to me how much some people defend Jason Worth. And I'm like, look at the facts. Look at what he was. And then to your point, some of this other stuff, you're like, you know, he wasn't some little angel. He could be a negative influence. Like, yeah, but man, people... There are, there are some people who, like, want to erect a statue to Jason Worth. And I'm just like, where, where are you? You know, like, they'll credit. They'll be like, well, Jason Worth, that signing turned everything around. And I'm like, no, it didn't. It did, they had I, already it, drafted Strasburg. They'd already drafted Harper. They'd already drafted Rendon. Like, it didn't turn things around. Now, did he have some good seasons? Yes. Did he do some good things? Sure. The Worthquake home run, et cetera. But, like, this thing of, like, if not for him, then that's never become good. Like, that is such a bunch of garbage when people say that. So, in, in, a town known, on, yeah, in a town known for spin, spinning that the worth signing, the overpaying, if you want to say, was necessary yeah. to justify to the league that Washington would spend, point to any, any free agent that they added after him that was came because of him. Max Scherzer did not sign with Washington because no. Jason Worth was here. No. Yeah. No, right. 210 million dollars is why Max Scherzer came here. All right, anyway, so that's my audition tape for the Nats uh podcast. That's about all I got. I don't really have that's much That's pretty else. strong. I, we I may have to consider you now. That's pretty good what you just did. All right, it's about all I got. I got I it, it's how I am with most of my sports these days. I got like one or two takes I'm hanging on to. In a, in a couple more years, the worth take will be irrelevant because people have forgotten. So I have to get it in now or if it's over. Um, Al, really appreciate it, man. Everybody go check out the Al, Al Galdi podcast. I know you already are. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. I appreciate you, man. Thank you. All right, there you have it. Uh, many thanks to Coach David Shaw from Stanford University and my guy, Al Galdi from the Al Galdi podcast. Appreciate, of course, you guys, everybody out there for listening to this podcast, supporting me over on The Athletic as well. Uh, again, more podcasts coming up. And the NFL draft is still, what, roughly uh, three weeks away. We've got plenty more to get into. We've got some really fun stuff planned coming up. So uh, be sure to subscribe to the Standard Groom Only podcast. Follow me on Twitter at Ben Standig. And stay safe out there. Hope everyone's doing well. But that's it for now on the podcast. Until next time.